Well, good morning. Wow. <laughs> wow. If I gotta be excited to be here, so do you. So, so, so. Good morning. There we go. That's a little bit better. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad um, that you guys are here, and I'm really excited about this series that we're going through, this idea of different church. What does it mean to be a church that's different? What does it mean to be a people that's different? Um, but, but some clarity, just so that we understand that the church has always been the people. Um, it's ecclesia. Unfortunately, in, in culture and everything, we've changed it to kirche, the, the building and the place you meet. But the church has always been the people. And so when we're talking about this um, and have been talking about it, we are talking about us, uh, people that have, have joined together in a covenant relationship that says, listen, you can count on me. I want to be a part of something. I'm going to be part of this family. Uh, I'm going to be part of this thing. And, and there's the local church and there's the universal church. And, and what, what's good is that you can belong to both. That we all, if you're a follower of Christ, we are all part of this big thing called the church. And one day, um, there will be just one church. Won't that be nice? And we won't have to look for parking. And, and I won't be preaching. Um, there will only be one preacher and everything. But, but in the midst of that, we, we live in the idea of kind of the local church and stuff. But it's still, it's just the people. And it's funny to me, as we, have, we planned this church a few years ago, and, and we started, we started in my living room. I'm with like eight people, and there's a few of us that are still left from that those early, early days. But I remember inviting people to church and saying, hey, yeah, come out to church and, and everything. And we have so culturalized in the church that being a place, people, as soon as I told them it was in my living room, people said, okay, when you get a building, maybe we'll come. And, and they did. Some people started showing up when we found a space and everything. But when we're talking about this, we are talking about us as a people, and I believe all my heart, I know for all my heart, that God has called us to be different. That we're supposed to stand out and not stick in or, 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 or fit in. Um, and so that's what we're going through. And so last week we talked about the church at Ephesus, the great church there. And, and saying this week um, we get to talk about Smyrna and everything. But I wanted to give you guys a little kind of picture of where we're actually at. Because as I was talking about this, um, these are the ch seven churches um, in, in Revelation, that is today, that's Turkey and everything. And, and so you see there's Ephesus, there's Smyrna, which we'll talk about today, and Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and then a little tiny island, Patmos, is where John was exiled. And so I want you to get a picture of, of the area, and there's Rome all the way over there in Greece and everything. And so that's kind of the region that we're talking about. And, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> but um, none of these churches exist today. Which is sad to me because I think the church should just, it should, I don't think churches should ever close. If they're being the church, they, they would never close and stuff. And you can go on tours and you can see the cities and you can see the ruins and everything and stuff. But I wanted to give you just an idea of this is where we're talking about when you hear these cities and everything. It, it's modern day Turkey and it's still a mess over there. Um, and it's going to continue to be uh, until Christ returns. But this morning, as I said, we're going to be talking about Smyrna. Um, it's one of the few churches in this list where he doesn't say, I have this against you. That it's pretty much, it's all good news, um, sort of. There, there's still trials, there's still struggles. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2 um, at verse 8. If you don't have a Bible, we have them available for you. They're kind of spread out along. If you don't own one, take one, put your name in it. It's yours, it's a gift. If you want to do it electronically, um, we have a Wi-Fi here. It says GBC Guest. Just type in find more, all lower caps, and you can follow along. Um, again, I've been saying this last couple weeks. There is no reason for any of us not to be walking around with God's word in today's world. Um, get an app. 
If you don't want to carry a big, um, my, my grandmother had what we called the mule choking Bible that literally like the, if a tornado came, the coffee table would stay because that Bible was so big. And so if you don't want to carry that around, get an app and stuff. And there's a lot of great apps. We actually have some information back here of different ones that you can use. But um, man, God's word should always be available to us um, today. And, and that's a blessing. But a- as always, these are the only words that are important this morning. Um, I, I have no right, no authority, um, no wisdom, anything outside of these words this morning. And, and so it is these words and these words only that matter and what we said. And so out of respect for that and out of acknowledgement of the authority of these words and God's words, I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me as we open up this morning. Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 8, John writes this, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you this morning. Um, I thank you for the opportunity just to speak. God, as I said at the beginning of the service, you don't need me to preach. God, but you allow me to be a part of this, to, to share your word. And God, I am humbled this morning. So Father, I ask that these words would be your words and not mine. God, that you would just penetrate our hearts. God, that you would calm everything else that's going on in our minds. God, that you would settle us. And that, God, you would encourage us this morning. You would challenge us this morning. Most of all, God, you would change us this morning. God, that we would be different from being in your presence. God, I pray, as you said and you say often, God, give us ears to hear. God, give us hearts to respond. And God, give us the courage to live it outside these walls. Father, have your way this morning. May the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, and may you get all the glory and all the credit. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So so as I said, we are going to be talking about... Smyrna. And so I want to give you a little background on Smyrna. Um, it was, a, as you saw on the map, it was kind of a port city and, and everything. And so it was a beautiful city. It was a big city. In fact, it kind of competed with Ephesus. I told you last week, Ephesus was like the Vegas, Hollywood, New York, all combined, this great city, and everyone loved it. But Smyrna actually had a better port. And so Smyrna was always saying, we're, we're, we're just as good as you if we're, we're not better. It's kind of like the Orlando, Miami thing you know people down in Miami I talk to them and stuff they're like Miami it's the jewel of Florida it's always been the jewel of Florida I says yes but we have Mickey (laughs) and Kong so I mean you can't and so there was always kind of this competition but what's interesting about Smyrna is that it's actually a city it was destroyed um around uh I don't know 300 um 300 BC 400 BC or something like that the whole city was like it's been around for long it was destroyed 
and, and then they came back in and, and rebuilt the city. In fact, it was the first planned city. Like someone actually sat down and said, here's where the roads are going to go. Here's where, you know, these buildings and all this stuff. And so the entire city was planned, and it was beautiful, and it was immaculate and stuff. And, and, and I wonder, because they look at us today, and they say, well, Orlando must not have been planned at all. It's like someone flew over Orlando and says, that, that can be a road. That can be a <laughs> There's no straight way anywhere, but Spirit wasn't like that. I mean, it was just planned. Um, it was effective. It was worth, but it was also very, very loyal to Rome. Even before the Romans um, conquered that area and took over, Smyrna was loyal to Rome. And so it was one of the first places um, that we had emperor worship. Um, when Tiberius became Caesar, um, he instated, he's like, I'm God and you'll worship me. And so it was one of the first places that actually had a temple to the Roman emperor. And so in the midst of this city, with all the economics, with all the trade routes and all the international flavor that it is, um, you know, with how grand a city it is, it has ample worship. There lies the church in, in Smyrna. And so it's a hostile place um, to be a church. And, and I know if we look around the world today, um, fortunately not and blessedly not as much in the United States, but there are places on this planet where the church is outlawed. That was Smyrna. And that was where you, as a follower of Christ, had to live and, and occupy and, and do. And so, and so in that, Christ comes and he gives some, um, some kind of encouragement to them. And, and I love, as we open back up our Bibles in, in chapter 2 and verse 8, I love that Jesus comes to him and he says that he finds some common ground with him. Right off the bat, he, he states some common ground. Look, look, look at verse 8. Revelation 2, 8, it begins, And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write the words of the first and last who died and came to life. I, I love this idea because if you lived in Smyrna, you actually knew what it meant to die and come back to life because you were a city that was destroyed, and now you're sprawling, you're living, you're back to life. And so Christ identifies right away with that. And I'm encouraged by that this morning because he does the same thing to us. You know, in, in Hebrews it says we have a high priest that d does understand everything that we go through, all our trials, all the temptations and everything. That Christ comes in and he says, I understand what you've gone through because I've lived it except I conquered it. I, I went through that and everything. And so immediately right with the church, he's like, you know, I know you live in a place that was dead and now it's alive. The other really cool thing. Uh, uh, about this is that actually the Greek when it says the first and last who died and came to life that actually is kind of like um, present perfect in, in the Greek oh, yeah, I, I hated Greek I'm sorry but you're going to get a little lesson which means that it's active and still happening in fact a better translation is uh, I, I, was, I was dead and I am living still do you, do you understand that that if you're a follower of Christ this morning that you follow a God that's still alive that is still, <coughs> still active, still moving, still doing, still going, still, in, still interceding, still a part of what's going on in our life, that, that he's living. It's not like Jesus came, he died, he rose again, went to heaven and says, okay, good luck. <laughs> that he's still part of what we go through. He understands he went through it, but he's actively involved in our life. Every other belief system on this planet, it seems like the God is kind of distanced, that hopefully I can make it to him, hopefully I can be good enough, and, and I do the right things, and, and maybe I'll please him. Where in Christianity and the faith in Christ, it's that Christ actually is living actively and still moving on the planet. This is why the church will never die. 
As long as Christ is the head of the church, it's still active and it's living and, and that's hope. I don't care what, what the news says. I don't care what statistics say. That Jesus is still actively involved in his church, his people. And, and he understands that. And so there's, there's common ground that we can, we can be involved in. But, but even in that, he knows that, you know what? There, there are struggles. He, he understands that it's not easy following Christ. I, I'm going to tell you, if, if anybody's told you that, if anybody says all you got to do is trust Jesus and everything in your life and all your dreams and wishes and everything that you ever want will come true, man, throw something at them. They're liars. Because it's, it's not easy. This is countercultural. Following Christ, the idea of putting others before myself, of being sacrificial, uh, of living a life and saying someone else is in charge, I'm going to do it their way instead of my way, is against everything in the world. And, and so in that, there, there was struggle and everything, and, and Jesus acknowledges that to this church. Look at verse 9. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He says, I, I know that you struggle. I, I know that there are things that come in. In fact, that word tribulation actually means it, if you, it's a burden that crushes. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like things are just so out of control, so things are so out uh, of just weighing on you, there's so many problems, there's so many trials, there's so much stuff coming out of you that you actually feel like you're being crushed. This is the church in Smyrna. Again, again, this was, uh, Christianity was not, was illegal. I mean, you couldn't just go around and carry your Bible or wear your t-shirt and stuff like that and just go, like, hey, I'm a Christian. There wasn't like Christian concerts and all this stuff. It wasn't able. And so it was always kind of this sense that people were pressing in, especially the large Jewish community that was there. They really did not like the Christians. And in fact, years later, there's one of the church fathers, Polycarp, was there. Great, great follow Christ, great church leader, wrote some great things. That's where he was burned to death by the Jews. And the Jews were so upset and so against the Christians that they actually, these Jews that said on the Sabbath, I don't do anything, gathered the firewood on the Sabbath to set burning Polycarp on fire. This, this is the world that they lived in. And, and, and yet in the midst of that crushing pressure, they still stood. And you and I are, are called to do that. And, and I know that's hard. But as, as we're going to see that it's not us doing the standing, but it's Christ in us doing the standing for us. I, I, I love that it says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Uh, again, because they were outlawed, the Jews could just come up and say, oh, you're a Christian? Give me your house. We're, we're going to tax you extra. We're going to take this. You can't own land. You can't do anything. And, and so in, in Smyrna, it was just known as, this, as the followers of Christ. Man, they, had, like, they thought they had nothing except Jesus says, but you are rich. I, I, I think in, in our culture especially, we have redefined what being rich is. You know, we think it matters what, what's in our bank account or what's, what's in our retirement or what kind of house we have or what kind of job and, and all these stuff. And, and we look at all of that and we say, well, this is my wealth and everything. And yet here he's saying, I know your poverty, but you are still rich because it's not about what you have. It's what's been done for you. Look, look at this in, in, in James 2.5. Excuse me. 
In James 2.5, James writes this. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? See, our wealth is not based on what's in some bank account somewhere or what kind of clothes we have or, or any of that other stuff that the world says, this is what makes you wealthy. Our wealth lies in the fact that we are children of God, the creator, the owner, the sustainer, the maintainer of the universe. And because of that, we are heirs with that. We, we are part of that family. That is, that, is our, that, is our, that is what's given to us. You know, I think about my life and, and all the things, and man, I tell you, honestly, I, I would love to make more money. <laughs> I, I would love to be go on vacation every year and, and have, have a car that I'm not sitting there just going like, if I put duct tape here and a little glue, maybe that will hold that together and stuff. I, I would love all, all that stuff, but my richness is, isn't in that. You know, I, I think about the richness of relationships I've had over the years, of all the years of living in Europe for almost seven years. I mean, I know people that are multimillionaires that have never seen Europe, and we've traveled all over the world and, and seen places, and, and, and the people that we've met and the relationships that we've met and, and all the things that have just filled us. My family, I look at my daughters and the lives they're li living now, and they're chasing after God, and I'm like, man, I am so rich. It is those relationships that make us wealthy. That's, a, that's the cool thing about church is like you can come here on vacation and then you can go back home and you're part of a family still. There's still relationships there that are going to carry on into all of eternity. You know, it's funny that this past week, man, this past week was rough. I, I'm exhausted this past week. I started a new job at Universal doing security to kind of offset some of our income and, and do all that stuff. Um, and I had to sit in a class with a bunch of 20-year-olds that were just all giggly and everything. I'm like, gosh, I just want a job, okay? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Stop asking stupid questions. Let's get this over with, okay? And everything. Uh, and everything. But, but in the midst of that, I got an email this past week from a, a kid that was in our youth ministry when we lived in Sicily that I had the privilege of later on she married her high school sweetheart and I got to perform the wedding and everything and, and I haven't seen her in a couple of years I think it was like three or four years they were in Orlando and I got to see him real quick and everything but just emailing me and say hey we are thinking about you um, we love what you're doing at the church we're sending you some support for the church and stuff as you guys are building up and, and everything man that's rich That's what being rich is. See, the problem is for us is we try to invest in all these other things that we think are important right now. And I think that's why Jesus, back in Matthew, um, said this. He says, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so my question for us this morning is, where's your treasure? Where, where, where are you investing? Because if, in, if it's in a retirement fund, that's awesome. And, and I, listen, I prepare. Prepare for the future. Have a savings account. Do all that. That's important. That's, that's in life. But, but if, if all my wealth is based in paying for things here and now, all those things are going to go away. See, the only thing that's not going away is God's kingdom. And so if I lay up treasure there, if I lay up relational treasure there, if I lay up, you know, the things that I'm doing for God there, nothing can touch it, not, not moth, not rust. There are no thieves, none of that stuff. 
And so that's what Jesus was saying to this church in Smyrna. He says, listen, I know that you have had tribulation. I, I know that you have had all kinds of struggle in this. And the world looks at you and says, you're poor, but you are rich. Listen, if next week I lose my house, I lose everything, and I have Jesus, it's more than I've ever deserved. I, I'm learning what Paul says, your grace is sufficient for me. It's not always easy. I, and I understand that. You know, I, I'm a guy, I was raised in the South by a West Virginia hillbilly. And I understand that, like, my role, like, I have a wedding in two weeks for my oldest daughter. And in the back of my head, even right now, I'm sitting there going, like, how are we going to pay for that wedding? How are we going to do that? Because... And this is this is my sunshine. This is my firstborn, and, and we want to do it right. And God, I'm the man. It's my job to provide. And God gently whispers. He says, no, it's my job to provide. It's your job to trust. That's when we become rich. And, and, and so they have this. But, but he goes on in the second part of verse 9. He, he talks about this. He also says, but... And, 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 you know, I know your tribulation and, and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There's a lot of people walking around today saying, I'm a Christian and don't look anything like Jesus. They're, they're in our churches everywhere. There, there's a lot of people that are going to say, well, no, 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 there's, there's so many different ways. It just You have to just believe sincerely. You know, whatever you believe, unless in, if you're sincere, then, then it's okay. And I, and I hate to tell you this, and this is a hard word, but there is true worship. Worshiping God and everything else is the worship of Satan. And that sounds really harsh. And I probably will get comments on our Facebook Live page and stuff going, oh, well, that's just, see, you're a bigot. No, I'm not, because Jesus said it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I'm not a way, I'm not a truth, I'm not a life, I am the truth. And, and so the truth is, is if we are worshiping anything other than God, in context with his word, and according to the way he has set it up for us to do, if we're worshiping anything else, then we are worshiping the enemy. Which is, I mean, it's, it's hard, but think about it. Either I'm a follower of Christ, or I'm an enemy of God. That's it. And he said, listen, I recognize those that say they know me. I recognize these people that say they're Jews, God's chosen people. If they were my chosen people, they would acknowledge me. And one day, I'm telling you, if you come on Tuesday nights, you're going to hear this. We're, we're going through the rest of the book of Revelation. The Jews are still God's chosen people, and they all will be redeemed and stuff. We just, we got adopted in and stuff we we got the privilege of being grafted in as the, as the church but the jews are still his chosen people but in the end everyone will bow a knee and say jesus your lord every tongue will confess and, and so he says that hey listen i know these people that are slandering you and, and i know all this trouble and, and then he says something amazing he, he calls them to stand firm look at verse 10 after all this, he's like, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, I know those that are against you, and, and they're forcing you. And then he says in three simple words what he says over and over again, do not fear what you are about to suffer. 
Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. I love that Jesus starts with the idea, do not fear. Every time God shows up or an angel shows up and someone's freaking out, the first thing they say is, do not fear. Don't be afraid of the world and all these people. See, because I figured out and I understand now that fear is the opposite of faith. And either we live in fear or we live by faith. And there's not a lot of room in between. But he's saying, do not fear. Don't, don't let this get to you because I've already overcome the world. I know things are hard. I know things seem out of control. But as like this past Tuesday, we went through Revelation chapter 4 on Tuesday night. And we talked about God is on his throne, sitting on his throne. Can I tell you, he's still there. There's nothing outside of his purview. There's nothing outside of his control. There's nothing outside of his power. There's nothing outside of his presence. He is still on his throne. And because of that, we can stand firmly and say, I'm not going to be afraid. I don't have to fear. Because my God is in control. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, the, the statement is still the same. Do not <coughs> fear. Because things are going to get harder. Things are going to be a little bit more drastic against those that say they follow Christ. That line is becoming very, very clear of who a follower of Christ is and who is not a follower of Christ. And, and in the midst of that, our, our God is in control. Our, our God says, don't be afraid because I'm not. Is our God afraid of anything? I mean, that's an Amen. <laughs> so if our God, if he's in control of all this, if he's in charge of him, he's not worried and he's not afraid, why should we be? He says, do not fear. And then he goes on. He says, behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now, I have no idea what that means, 10 days. Is it 10 literal days? Is it 10 years? Is it, is it every year? Is it 1,000 years? I hope not, but I mean... <laughs> I mean, it, it's a period of time, but the point is, is that whatever you and I are going through, there is a time stamp on it. That whatever we're facing, whatever tribulation, God has put an end time on it and says, and he will say enough is enough. In, in our lives and in this world, all the craziness that we see in this world, all the animosity, all the division, all the anger, all the, all the separation, all the brutality and everything, there's a day coming when God's going to say enough. that good news that no matter what you're facing God has already put a stamp saying there's a time when that will end you know we hold on to promises like God will never let me go through more than I can handle the problem is is God knows how much we can handle we don't <laughs> and so two days into it whatever you're facing saying God I can't handle it anymore God's like yeah you can because he's never late. He's always on time. But there, there, there's a limit to the suffering. Listen, un understand this. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. Because they hated me, they'll hate you. So as a follower of Christ, know that we are going to face tribulation. But God uses that 
to shape us and mold us. Because the truth is when things are going great and, and everything's just going great, a lot of times we don't think that much about God. We sing and we're happy and everything, but it's when things are rough and things are falling apart that we have to lean on him. And that's where we learn that he is faithful and he is trustworthy. And we do that. I, I had a friend, he teaches at the um, uh in Denver at the seminary in Denver and he has this whole class he's called it's called consolation desolation he says everybody's life can be put into two things consolation or desolation and they kind of intermix like a helix all around consolation are those mountain highs man those those things where like everything is great and, and all this stuff is like woohoo I love Jesus everything's wonderful I won the lottery woo you know but then there's desolation where everything is just wrong, everything is hard, everything is exhausting, and all that stuff. And he says, you know, the amazing thing is it's in those moments of desolation. Without those, we would never have the moments of consolation. Because in desolation, God becomes real to us. But I promise you this morning, if you don't hear anything else, there's a time limit on our suffering, on our tribulation. There's a time limit on what this planet will have to endure. And God will one day soon say, enough. Enough. And, and, and I love that even in that, he says, you know, don't fear. You're going to suffer. You're going to be tested. And there's a time limit on it. But the end of verse 10, he says, but be faithful unto death. And I'll give you the crown of life. He's, he's saying, even if you die, don't worry about it because death isn't the end. You don't even have to be afraid of death anymore. The greatest fear of all humanity is dying. It's the number one fear. You know, I've told a story where I got to sat, sit with my dad over the last year of his life, and him telling me, he says, you know what, death's not scary, it's the dying part. And, and even that, we don't have to be afraid because death is not the final word. Jesus is the final word. And in a few months, we get to celebrate that again, and we should celebrate it every Sunday, but we especially get to celebrate it on Easter when death couldn't even hold him in. So we don't have to be afraid. Our, su our, our suffering is limited, and not even death. Even if, if the world kills me, if someone breaks in here and shoots me right now, Sorry, but I'm in heaven, and I don't want to come back. <laughs> Every time I do a funeral, I let people know when I know it's a follower of Christ, I let them know, it says, listen, you're sad, but they're not. No one wants to come back. That's why I hate those movies. Like, I saw heaven, and then I came back. I'm like, if I saw heaven, you ain't getting me back. <laughs> Because heaven is in the presence of God. And that's where I want to be. Wherever that is, that's where I want to be. And so we, we don't have to fear. And that's why we can be bold. Listen, look at in Romans, Romans 8. Paul writes this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to that. Nothing, not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not, not 
politicians, not lawyers, not doctors, not, not world programs, not anything, not an economy. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you and I from the love of Christ. So I ask you again, as I'll ask you every week, what can they do to us out there? Man, we should live like that. We should, we should live boldly. Because there's nothing that they can do. We are rich because we have Christ. There's a limit on what suffering will go through. And even if they kill me, it's not the end. Because nothing can separate me. And that is good news this morning. If you're a follower of Christ. If you're not, this should worry you. See, because in all of it, we're more than conquerors. Isn't that, isn't that good news? That we, we, we are more than conquerors? Look at, verse, look at verse 11. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, if you're unsure what that is, the second death is there's a day that everybody's going to stand for Jesus, and we are all going to be judged. And the only question is, is does he know us? And do we know him? And the Bible says there's going to be many people that say, but Lord, I did this in your name. I did that in your name. And unfortunately, Jesus is going to look at him and says, I never knew you. Depart from me. And be eternally separated from the presence of God. He'll be eternally taken away from any option of ever knowing their creator ever again for all eternity. That is hard. That is, that is scary. But the truth is, it's not about me just knowing about Jesus. It's about Jesus knowing me. Because in that way he says, I never knew you. And for so many of us in the church today, we walk around and says, I know about Jesus. But my question is, is how many of us really, really know him? And, and in this, we, it says, the one who conquers. Here, here's the deal. I think so often in our culture, especially in our society, we think it, it's us. We, we live in a culture. Listen, I am proud to be an American. I feel blessed to live in a country that allows me to get up and preach and, and, and do the things and, and do all this stuff. And I think it is the greatest country that, is ever, that God has ever put on this planet. I think it is walking away from that, and it has to, <laughs> because the best kingdom is coming. The eternal kingdom is coming, but, but, but I love this. But the idea, like my dad, he was a World War II veteran. You know, he worked on the railroad. He was a salesman, a traveling salesman, did all this stuff. And his, my entire life, all I had heard, son, it's like, you've got to earn it, son. <laughs> you pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. You've got to go out there and win. You've got to go conquer. You've got to do all this stuff. And I think that carries on in our faith. Here's the good news. It's not us that conquered. It's Christ that has already conquered You and I are conquerors, not because of anything that we've done. It's because what all Christ has already completed and finished upon that cross and rose again. Man, I love it. And he has enabled the church to already conquer. In fact, he says upon the statement that we believe Jesus is the Son of God, God himself, the Messiah, upon that not even the gates of hell will prevail against us as the church. This is why I'm so excited that, you know, in, in a couple of weeks, once we finish this, we're going to talk about going into Easter. We're going to talk about the last words of Jesus and how powerful those last words are. But right after that, we're going to start in Acts, and we're going to go through and just talk about this is what it means to be a church. 
And I don't know how long that's going to take us. And so you can start reading ahead now because we are going to go through the entire book of Acts and see how God, and by the way, the book of Acts never ended. It's the only book in the Bible that doesn't have an, uh, an epilogue at the end. It doesn't end because we're still living the book of Acts right now. But we are conquerors because he is conquered. We've won because he's won. You don't have to do it. You're saved by grace, not by works, not by anything you do. It's not about how good you are. It's by <coughs> the work of Christ. And, and we have conquered, and we continue to conquer because he goes before us. It is his spirit within us that makes us undefeatable. I'm kind of praying that spirit's in the Jaguars today because we need a Florida team in the Super Bowl. <laughs> but... It, it, it's him. Listen, I, 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 want you, I want you to just listen to this. So often I, I put a quote, and I think this is the best quote I could ever put in here. In Romans 8, backing up a little bit. Verse 31. Listening, everything that we've talked about today, that God knows, Jesus knows our tribulation, that we are rich in him, that there's a time limit, that he's in control, he's on his throne. Listen to this and see if this doesn't make more sense to you. In verse 31, Paul writes this. He says, what then shall we say to these things? How are we going to respond to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who will, who will condemn us? Who will go against us? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are all being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But listen to this. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's, that's, that's what Jesus was telling to this church. That's, that's what he wants us to hear this morning that no matter what you're facing, what, whatever's going on in your life, you and I can be a different people. We can be a different church. We can stand out instead of just fitting in because he is conquered and through him we continue to conquer. The church marches on. We march on. So where are you this morning? Do you feel kind of crushed, pushed down? Do you feel like, man, everything that I hoped and dreamed for, man, it's just, it's all going wrong. It's all being pushed down. Jesus says, I know, I understand, and I'm right there with you. There's a time limit on that. And, and the day's coming when there'll be no more tears. No more crying, no more death, no more disease, none of that stuff. And we will hear with a loud, clear voice Jesus saying, I am making everything new. So hold on. Hold on. Be, be the church, be the people that God created us to be. And it doesn't matter what they do out there.
It doesn't matter what's on the news. It doesn't matter what's in the newspaper or on the internet. Because we are secure because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That's the way to live. That's how we're different. In a world so desperately all trying to fit in and get along. By the way, they're doing a horrible job. <laughs> no, no, no one gets along. That's why I love the church. That it doesn't matter where we come from. That we all need a Savior and we're all tied together by that fact. That Jesus conquered everything. And now we're conquerors. And this morning, I just want to give you a chance to respond to that. I said, I, I don't know where you're at. Uh, I don't know what you're facing. I know what we're facing in my family. I know what we struggle with. And I can bring that to God, but on, only you and God know what's going on in your life. I just want you to take advantage of this time. That whatever's going on, you just say, God, I know that, you know, Father, there's a time limit. And that you're still on your throne. And I can trust that. That you're going to make everything right. That all things work to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not that everything's good, but all of it will come together. And at the end of time, we're going to be able to stand there. I think Jesus is just going to sit there and show us the puzzle of our life and say, See? See how all this kind of came together to this point? And every one of us will say, Oh, that's good. That's very good. So wherever you are this morning, I just I, I pray that you let God do his work. If, if you don't know him, if you're sitting like, I'm not really sure about this stuff, then let today be the day. If you're living in fear, if you're worried and you're overwhelmed, and I understand worry. Listen, it's my spiritual gift. I, I'm a worrier. <laughs> my wife says all the time, says that, that you just need to stop worrying. And, and it's hard. When, when everything's pressing in, when those bills are due and all this stuff is going on and you're thinking about everything that's happening, it is hard. Maybe just for a moment this morning, we just say, God, no more. You're on your throne. Whatever it is, let God have his way. If we go to church and we're not different because we came to church, we just wasted an hour and a half. I, I believe that with all my heart. So, to help that, uh, as always, I just want to say we have a prayer area always available for you. There's communion in there. If you just want to get alone right behind that curtain, um, we believe tithes and offering is an act of worship. And I say there's, there's no better way. I know from in my life there's no better way f for me to show that I trust God than in my, my checking account of what, what I give to and what I invest in. And so we have the offering box. Whatever's happening, let God have his way. And, and let's see what happens with that. Let's pray. God, I just thank you this morning. And I thank you that you know, Lord, you know all the stuff we're going through. You, you know the tribulation. You know the feeling. But in the midst of that, God, I pray this morning <coughs> that you would just reveal yourself once again to us of how great and how mighty, how awesome and how in control you are. God, I pray right now that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that is living in fear about tomorrow, 
that God, they would relinquish that and that they would turn to you and they would just simply pray, God, I know I'm a sinner. I've done things my way and I want to do them your way for now on. Jesus, I know you, you came, you died for me. You took my sin and then you rose again. Forgive me, come into my life. Let me live a different life for now on. Uh, for the rest of us, you know every trial, every tribulation, and every heart this morning. You know exactly what's going on. May we just hand it over to you. So, Father, would you just have your way this morning? Don't let us leave here with any unfinished business. And may you get all the glory and the credit. In Jesus' name.